I had to learn to start to associate with people that had, you know, vision in common, that were going in the same direction. Um, I had fallen into a group of people that it wasn't that they were bad people, but they had lesser aspirations than I did. And that was a big lesson early in life that, you know, you hear it all the time now. You're, you are the average of the five people that you associate with. And I really do believe that even to this day and age, I always think about that because that's how I've gotten ahead in part is uh, the, the lucky breaks that come from knowing the right person and networking the right way and being around people who are smarter than me. Welcome to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I'm excited for our guest today, who I had the privilege of being on his show uh, not that long ago, and it depends on when you're listening to uh, this recording. It could be a year from now, it could be as soon as we release it. But this individual has had an amazing story of, you know, being, um, having immigrant parents who really kind of had to, didn't really have a lot to start with, then having a situation where the family kind of broke up and being a teenager and having to kind of take over the lead of the family and just having all this kind of events, some people might call it trauma. And now, you know, has been a serial entrepreneur, many, many businesses, but his entrepreneurship has been so unique. I've never seen anybody with the background that he has, you know, software, a yogurt stand, car washes, pizza places, salons. Hey, I mean, he doesn't get more eclectic than that. But our guest, Henry Lopez, who also has the podcast, thehowofbusiness.com, and he has a very special gift in the middle of the show, so you don't want to miss that. My encouragement is, is that you would be uh, listen to the show, get some tidbits, get some insight, but also be inspired by his story. That if Henry can do it and grow through all the challenges that were sort of he was faced with, then anybody can, or certainly you can. But we do have an assessment called the Entrepreneurial Style Success Indicator. And my encouragement is if, if you're a business owner that you would consider completing that, it's going to help you understand your business style and what your strengths and challenges might be as a business owner. For some of you, you don't have your own business. You're an employee or you work for somebody else. You're in a position, but you're thinking about maybe having your own a company or a side business. So one of the ways to transition is to have a plan. And so the entrepreneurial style success indicator can assist in that. Go to crgleader.com and find out about the entrepreneurial style and success indicator. And as always, if you like what we're doing, if we're inspiring you, then let's see if we can inspire others. Can you share? We're very appreciative of you sharing, leaving some positive remarks, and ratings in whatever platform that you are listening to. Thank you for taking your most valuable commodity, your time to be an SOS listener. Here's today's interview with Henry Lopez. Well, I had the pleasure of being on our guest podcast not that long ago, recently, and he did an amazing job. And I said, listen, we need to have this individual on our show. He's a serial entrepreneur. I've never seen a list that has so much diversity in terms of the kinds of businesses that he's done. And we'll get into that. So I want you to keep curious. At the same time, 
His focus is really to help individuals to grow their business, to grow professionally. And let's welcome Henry Lopez to the show. Henry, welcome to the show. Ken, it's a pleasure to be here. And you have your own podcast, which I just mentioned, which is the How of Business podcast. Is that correct? That's right. Absolutely. The How of Business. So we'll, we'll mention that URL several times because at the end of this interview, we're going to have a special offer. And we're not going to tell them what it is quite yet, Henry, because we <laughs> want them to stick around for the show. So Henry, I mean, you're down in the Texas area. I'm up here in Vancouver, and I love this kind of diversity of being able to technology to reach out. Uh, but Henry, we always like to get to know our guests as far as their journey and where they grew up and, and just sort of the sequence of your life story. So just start with me there. Where, where did you, where were you born? And then just sort of your growing up years in elementary and high school. Sure, absolutely. I was, I was actually born in Houston, Texas. I'm the son of Cuban immigrant parents. Now, but, Houston, oh, Texas, there's no jokes about Houston and Dallas or in Texas, are there? You know, well, there, there's a rivalry between Dallas and Houston as to which place is best. Of course, um, of but Houston, Houston is technically the bigger city, maybe not as known as Dallas, but it's actually technically a bigger city. But I didn't grow up there. I only, by the time I was about a year old, my mom convinced my dad to go back to Miami where all of my extended family was, obviously being Cuban immigrants, or not obviously, but our family settled in the Miami area. Mm. And so we moved back there, grew up there for the most part, although I did spend two years when I was in my early teens in Venezuela, uh, my dad went down there for two years to build a yacht for a gentleman, a wealthy gentleman. And so that was a, an interesting diversion. And then spent wow. the rest of my teen years in South Florida. And I moved to the Dallas area when I was 24 years old. And I've so been here since then. let's stop for a second, Henry. Sure. Yeah. Is, in, what was that experience? So your dad was a craftsman then, was he? He was a high-end carpenter, a very high-end woodworking carpenter. And so how did he get this job in South America? It's a great story. It's, it's part of the, uh, the psychoses of my dad <laughs> that impacted us, obviously, in different ways. A, this gentleman, this wealthy gentleman, had come to Miami and looked for who was one of the top carpenters, found my dad through reputation, and then my dad said, hey, why don't we go build the boat in Venezuela? Uh, the gentleman was perfectly uh, willing and planning to have built the boat in Miami, my dad threw that out, uprooted us all, and we moved to Venezuela to build it there. And so how big is your family? Uh, it's my, uh, myself and a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest. And so all of you moved down to Venezuela. That's right. That's right. Middle, middle of the school year almost. Uh, so it was pretty abrupt. And it was a culture shock, to say the least. I imagine. So your dad being a craftsman, how was sort of the relationship in, in a family and how that, how has that affected you now? Yeah. How interesting. was that an influence there? It's interesting because coinciding with that. So I'm 12 years old and you know, that's around the age you start to rebel a little bit and not really? always agree. At least for me it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, exactly. That's around that age, right? Where your parents are not, any longer the masters of the of your universe and uh, that is where my relationship with my father really began began to strain 
And then when we got back from those two years, it got progressively worse. He left uh, the family, and my parents got divorced when I was 17. Mm. And then I was fairly estranged from him for all intents and purposes for like 15 years after that. Wow. Yeah, so so it was a very difficult childhood after around that age time frame. Mm. So how do you think that affected you in some of your choices? And in, in what was driving you to move from Miami, uh, you know, westward? Yeah, two big questions. Uh, one of the key ways that has always influenced me is, especially when my dad left, it was me then as the oldest. So I didn't, uh, there was no way I was going to go to college. We had to pay the bills. My mom had been a housewife for the previous 18 years that they had been married, no skills. So she had to go get an hourly paying job. I had to go get an hourly paying job. My brother and sister were younger. So we had to somehow survive. He did give us some money, but it was nowhere near enough Mm. uh, for us to cover our expenses. So that fear of not having money uh, still to this day is a motivator, whether it's positive or negative. I've, I've managed to you know, wrap around it and, and make it more or less positive, but it's that fear of not having anything, mm. of not having a safety net because, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family, so I didn't have anybody to lean on. And so that certainly drives me to this day. Uh, the move was, so that happened when I was 17. By the time I was 24, things were a little bit more stable at home. My mom had remarried. My brother was in school, in college anyway. My, my dad was helping him with that. My sister had grown up uh, as well. So I felt it was the right time, and I needed to go make my own life. And so that's why the move. And why that location? I, it, it was rather random, but I did have a couple of friends who had moved here. They were childhood friends of ours. And so that was convenient that at least I knew somebody in Dallas I knew that Dallas was good from a business perspective, and so it just was, that was about all that went into it. Well, at that age and what you were going through, uh, that's as deep as it go at that time. Yeah, I just needed to go somewhere else and start over. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, we might come back to this later, but you mentioned that it was estranged for about 15 years. How's that relationship with your dad now? Well, my dad passed about seven years ago, unfortunately, of of stomach cancer. Uh, Towards the end of his life, we had a a fairly good relationship. I wouldn't say that it was great, but we certainly reconciled. We talked often. Uh, He was a changed person as he got older, as a lot of people do tend to, you know, mellow and realize what... The, the things that they've done in the past. Um, so, so it was good. We, you know, we, we, we were able to talk and, and uh, share, and he came to visit a few times here in Dallas, and I would see him when I would go back to Miami to visit family. So at least I had that at the end, uh, which was good. Okay. Well, it sounds like you were thankful for that. And, you know, this happens in different families and, and people make choices. So congratulations on at least reconnecting. Yes, absolutely. So Henry, you've, and thank you for that. Thank you for being vulnerable. Uh, when we think about, or you think about being, you know, moving, now you're in this new town. What really were you thinking at that time? I'm starting fresh, but now what? 
what was sort of driving what would be next in your life? You know, at, at the deepest, at the root of it, Ken, is, was that I needed to start living my life and stop waiting for my dad to show up in my life. That had really paralyzed me in my emotional development and, and in all aspects. Fortunately, I, I had done, I had taken some good steps to start a career despite not having gone to university before I moved. I spent five years working for a company that gave me a great opportunity after I went to night school to become a computer programmer. I took advantage of that, and that was that first step in at least developing a career. So for me, the move was about resetting personally and emotionally, but also about hopefully taking that next step with this career that I had started on uh, in the computer industry, in the, in the software mm -hmm. industry. Thanks, Henry. What would you say to the listeners, to the individuals that have some, maybe a similar history or have some things that are hindering them? What, what could you say to them to encourage them to kind of go to the next level? You know, as it relates to me, Ken, it's, you have to keep fighting, and I've always looked at it that way, you know, and there are times that even at this point in my life, I stop some days and I say, I'm, I'm tired of fighting sometimes, but that is kind of how I felt then, not as much now, and you just kind of keep fighting, but the, the thing is for me, I always made sure that I had something I was working towards that was positive, whether that was when I was going to night school to become a computer programmer or when I had a job. I was always looking forward, and as long as I had what I called a vehicle that, that was moving me down the path I wanted to go, then that was good. I was a big believer that time was going to pass whether, whether I was doing something or not. And so I always kind of focused on that. And then the other thing that may or may not be related to people who are listening is I had to learn to start to associate with people that had, you know, vision in common, that were going in the same direction. Um, I had fallen into a group of people that it wasn't that they were bad people, but they had lesser aspirations than I did. And that was a big lesson early in life that, you know, you hear it all the time now. You're, you are the average of the five people that you associate with. And I really mm -hmm. do believe that even to this day and age, I always think about that mm -hmm. because that's how I've gotten ahead in part is uh, the, the lucky breaks that come from knowing the right person and networking the right way and being around people who are smarter than me. So those were some of the ways that I think I got through that period of time and on the right path. Mm. Well, thank you, Henry. I couldn't agree more where we are a reflection of the environment and people that we have allowed in or permit within our space. Yep. And if you want to go up, then hang out with people who are in a different area that where you want to go. So I couldn't agree more with that, Henry. Yep. So Henry, you have this eclectic entrepreneurial background. I actually, <laughs> I find it amusing in a real positive way. In other words, I'm just tickled by it. So that being said, where did you launch into this entrepreneurial spirit? Yep, absolutely. Started? I, I always have been. I always wanted to be my own boss because it was about control. Because if we go back to my issues in my family and with my father, the other component of that is he exerted this incredible control over me. 
in, in my spirit and in my thinking and in everything, right? So that has always driven me. I always wanted to be a control. I react negatively when, when others try to control me or limit me. So I always had that from early on. But, I, but beyond that, I always just had this aspiration of wanting to build things, wanting to create things. And in, in part, to begin to answer the reason for all of the different types of businesses that I've been in, part of it has just been I have taken an opportunistic approach to business. It has been as things have come my way or things have been presented to me. Sometimes you could call that shiny object syndrome, and I certainly suffer from that. But to answer the question, the, the first real opportunity was after I moved here, uh, that childhood friend that I referred to, one of the brothers, he had worked at a Mr. Jim's Pizza franchise. It's a local chain of about 60 units in the Dallas and surrounding area. He had worked at one and still did throughout high school and even into college. So he had the experience and we got to talking, hey, let's do something together. And so my very first real business was we bought an existing franchise. The gentleman who owned it at the time was desperate to get out of it. He took seller financing, thank goodness, because we didn't have any resources. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got started. Wow. Now, you didn't get into the business just for the food, did you? Well, that certainly was a nice <laughs> benefit because I do like food and I loved pizza. And we, we made a pretty good darn pizza, if I might say so myself. Now, my understanding, if I was reading your bio correctly, you end up growing that to three different stores, did you not? That's right. We ended up having three different franchises, and then at the end, it never could get it to a point where I could leave my day job. I was fortunate, and I was making increasingly more money. I moved into software sales right about that time. Um, my, we paid my partner, Renee, a salary throughout those years, owned it, those three throughout most of the 90s, ending up, ended up selling one very successfully, the other one we sold but not for much, and we had to close the third one. So we had mixed success, I would call it. Mm. So you're still doing your job, you have this uh, side business, and then, and then after the pizza, what happened? So then uh, late 2000, excuse me, late 90s, early 2000s, I was fortunate to have gone to work for a startup uh, company in the software business and went through an IPO and I was very fortunate to get from that a good chunk of money that that really helped to set me up financially as far as savings went and having enough money to now be a little bit more risky. Nonetheless, at that job, I got laid off, quote unquote, really fired. And that was the second time that that had happened to me in my career. The first time was early in the 90s and it was really painful. It was in the middle of trying to expand the Mr. Jim's and I was in a lot of debt. But the second time it happened, even though it was, um, it was still painful and embarrassing, I took that as the opportunity to say, you know what, let's see if I can now, I've got a bit of money saved up because of the IPO. Let me see if I can't make it a go of being a full-time business owner. So I went into real estate. I'd always been interested in real estate got my residential real estate license and started looking at it. And my wife and I did a couple of flips. Uh, we just sold our last rental house that we had in our portfolio last year. Uh, I, don't, I no longer do active real estate investment, but I am still involved in passive real estate investment. It still is very interesting to me. So, but I did that for about five years Residential real estate, investing How did in real go estate. For you, Henry? It went well. I mean, I, it, it was very successful. Um, it's just that I didn't quite enjoy the transaction side of the residential real estate. It's a very 
emotionally charged transaction, and I'm not good at that, at dealing with people's emotions that I think are irrational, but it's perfectly rational for them. Right. Um, but it was good. It was a good experience. Now, where it kind of ended sourly is we invested in property land investments in Florida, and then, of course, as we get to 2008, everything crashed. Right. right. So, and there was a few who were somewhat taken by that event. If you That's were right. in Las, Las Vegas, it wasn't uh, much better, or Phoenix. That's right. Or some of those little hubs in there. So you came out of that real estate. Then, then where did you transition from there? So during that, uh, we then my uh, that period of time, my my brother and uh, his family decided to move from South Florida to here to the same area where we live. And we had talked about we had done the real estate together in Florida they had helped with this scouting of properties and we wanted to do a business when they got here so we spent about six months looking for a business long story short we came across what to me was foreign until that point in time which is the sweet salon business you may never have been in one Ken I had never been into one uh, the the ladies that are listening probably have because it's become so much more popular this is where you walk into kind of a Think of it as executive suites, but for hairstylists. Mm. So the business is really a property management business, which of course made sense from a real estate experience perspective. But we had two locations. Each of them had about 35 suites, and we leased those out to hairstylists, nail, tech, nail techs, massage therapists, and we managed those relationships. They didn't work for us. They were our tenants. And mm -hmm. so we bought two existing of those salons and uh, owned and managed those for six years, and then we sold them. And you're buying and selling these businesses. What was the reason for selling that? A, a lot of reasons that went into selling the salon in particular. One is that I was starting to see a tremendous increase in competition in this segment. Mm -hmm. And so I thought the timing was good. I also personally didn't necessarily love that business not that that's not necessarily a criteria for me always but as a guys I got into it it wasn't something I was really passionate about um, but more was what I saw changing in the competitive landscape I thought the timing was good mm, well that's great by the way I just want to digress for a moment you being fired uh, once or maybe technically twice. Twice, yes. Yeah. In our entrepreneurial assessment, one of the 28 factors in it, in, in review of successful entrepreneurs, one of the questions is, I have been fired or let go mm. by a job. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> so, you know, you are, you've already had that. You were moving towards this independence already. Not that it's a badge of honor, but it is an acknowledgement that you had this sort of entrepreneurial bent and you knew that. Uh, way back when. Uh, if I may ask, you don't have to answer it, Henry. I, I like to be risky in the show a little bit. Is the main reason they let you go from the second job? Yeah, both times in my assessment, it was politics that I wasn't playing well. You know, I learned, I was never good at playing the politics of the work environment for all kinds of different reasons. Now, after the first time I got fired, I learned to at least be aware that there's a political game being played and got better at it, but it was never something that I was good at. So, and that's not, I'm not trying to make an excuse. Certainly you could argue maybe my performance wasn't up to par, but I know that wasn't the case because of how I achieved otherwise. But I just didn't do a good job of aligning myself 
with the right people. And then we had a shift the last time. The second time, there was a shift kind of in management, and I was on the outside of that. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it. But what it, to your point, on you have it on the questionnaire, what it validated for me both times, Ken, is for me, it helped me validate or what's the word, to, to get out of that misconception. Confirm. Uh, yeah, confirm, thank you, that there's this thing called job security. I, I knew that that doesn't exist, but, but that confirmed it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but to answer you your question, it, it was the politics that I didn't play right. Well, it's interesting, and thank you, Henry. If we think about those of you that are listening, is you know being fired isn't always a negative thing, and uh, you know some there's a not a fit. There's some of us that don't like the politics. I'm with you there. I mean, I always joke when I was on your show. I says I barely could work for myself. I couldn't possibly <laughs> work for somebody else. And That's then great. some of us are wired that way. I mean, we teach personality, and there's some people who are extremely independent. But you overlay that to a spirit of entrepreneurship, which is a separate measure. Well, now you have this sort of situation uh, where really working for others is not the desired. Yeah. And and I would add to that, if I may, Ken, the other thing that I did learn, it was a hard lesson, but I, I think it still applies even as an entrepreneur. What I was not good at, especially early in my career, was selling myself, selling my value. Mm-hmm. I, I came from the thought that, well, I'm going to do go, good work and that'll speak for itself. But that, in my experience, is usually not enough in the corporate world. You, you got to advertise yourself. You got to promote yourself. I was never good at that. And that was part of it as well. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I mean, a lot of times people go through and they say, well, you know, I want to be humble. Well, there's sort of mm-hmm. what I call false humility, where it's not about bragging, but it's certainly bringing to people's attention the acumen or capabilities that one might have that brings to the table and and be able, I mean, just like anything else, if you're selling software to the clients, they want to say, well, how are you going to help and fix our problem and bring a solution to bear? That's right. And we do that as individuals as well. Well, let's just jump into current day today, uh, Henry. You have the howabusiness.com. You have the How Business podcast. You are a business coach. I know that you currently own a yogurt uh, stand in um, Colorado. So it is a long way for you to commute to just go <laughs> get something for the afternoon. Right. And you're really focusing on helping other individuals in the business space. So let's just talk, Henry, how did you get into this space of being an advisor to other business owners? I think that, so I've been, just kind of as a point of reference, I've been a mentor with SCORE, which is part of the Small Business Administration, a volunteer mentor with SCORE for about three years. That's when I first really formally started kind of seeing what is this coaching thing all about. I'd always enjoyed teaching. In fact, if I think back to you know early days in high school, some of the things I thought I wanted to be a teacher was one of those things early on because I enjoy imparting knowledge. But what I love also is I just, when I have a, a coaching consultation with one of my clients, afterwards, I am more energized than before. And you and I chatted about this, Ken, you're the same way, because I love talking about business. I love talking to other entrepreneurs. I, that gives me a charge. That, my hobby is business, as you know, corny as that might sound. I have other hobbies, but I love reading about business. I am a student of business. 
And so that's what drives me. Sure, there, there's some altruistic components there. I love helping other people, but I get as much out of it, I think, as the clients do. I'm always learning something. It always challenges me. I love the problem-solving aspect of it. So that's what brought me to it. It's not my... Uh, it's not my only stream of income because obviously, as we talked about, I have other businesses, but I just enjoy it. Mm, mm. So when you think about, thank you, Henry, when you think about business and leaders, now our audience is slightly mixed and, and I apologize to those of you that don't own your own business, but however, I believe the principles apply uh, generally to most individuals who want to be successful in life. You know, when you think about the people that you've coached, the businesses you've worked with, the individuals, what are some of the reasons that businesses are failing, you know, in, in, at this time, at this century, at this moment, that you see are sort of trends or situations or conditions that are leading to people not being successful. Mm -hmm. And it could even apply to individual, maybe there's a VP of sales of a company, he doesn't own it or she doesn't own it, and what they're doing or not doing is, is affecting, affecting the, the business. Yeah, that's a big question. I think if I try to answer it a big picture, it's a lot, I think it's a lot of what you talk about, which are you doing something on purpose? Is it an alignment with your, your vision, right? So a lot of the things that you teach, I think that applies in the corporate world if you're an executive or wherever you are in the ranks, as well as it applies in business. I think that you have people that are running businesses that they really don't are not much passionate about and I've suffered from that as well but I'll tell you then I'll answer the question then tactically the way I've been observing it in one particular segment which is in the restaurant industry what I've seen from my perspective with very few outliers and thank goodness they exist because it proves that it can be done is the service the the level of customer service that we see for example in the restaurant industry and I'm talking about anywhere from the fast food to fast casual segment. But even in full service restaurants, I'm seeing it more and more. And part of it is the challenge that they're having with attracting and retaining employees, right? So that's one of the, the issues with it. But then you see businesses like Chick-fil-A um, or, or Whataburger, which we have here in the South, they're doing it exceptionally well. We're doing it well, we believe, at our yogurt shop and at our car washes. Um, I, I think that that's where I see it starting to fall apart because people just don't care. The way I look at business is it needs to represent me. And so if it's not representing me, then, then I got to do something about it. You know? Am I starting to answer the question? I, I want to make sure I give you a solid answer there. Well, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when we think about it, what you're saying, Henry, if I may re, uh, just sort of extend your phrases there is that, you have to care about the people that work for and with you if you want yes. to go forward. Yeah, and I think in the corporate world, how does that translate? I think you have to care about the, the customer that you ultimately are serving. I know it's harder because we're not as invested when we work within an organization, but the way I always looked at it, Ken, whether I worked for someone or I'm working for myself, is whatever I produce whatever that might be, whether it's I answer the phones or I produce a document or I'm part of developing a product or delivering a service, I, and this is what I did get, a positive thing I did get from my dad, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because it represents me. Mm. That's always been something that I've lived by. 
Now, I'm not trying to be discriminatory because I have two millennial kids, <laughs> two and 23. Yep. Are you seeing a generational difference between people's value sets around this topic? I think so, but my partner and I, David, talk about this all the time. That's why the chuckle, and I try to study this a lot, and it's, I'm starting to get a lot more clarity, clarity, I think, on the disconnect that we have. I think that what happens is that we have a different, slightly different maybe definition of work ethic than millennials do, but it doesn't mean that they don't want to work hard and well. It's just that the way that we, our generation can, the way that we addressed it was let's, let's just throw more hours at it. Let's just work even harder. I think millennials are wiser in, in realizing that, well, wait a second, what, I don't want to wait to enjoy life until I'm 60. I want to strike a better balance, and that's a disconnect sometimes for us. Yep. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and uh, it's not a judgment in any way. I it's mean, not. I, I would say that as a business owner and a person who's had different businesses like you, I I really dislike lazy people. Absolutely. But I've had but I've had that apply, and didn't matter age or gender. It was just situational to the person. You know. So yeah. when we think about are we hiring the right people, what do you think are some of the skill sets that are missing in leaders or leadership or business ownership that they don't have that they need to consider or need to develop or hire you or me or whatever to go to the next level. Well, at a high level, it's that, it's that alignment, which you talk about uh, being on purpose, living and working on purpose. So that's at the highest level. I think that's important. Then a more technical level, I think it's uh, we can all be better at communicating whether it's communicating with our staff or our peers or our subordinates, whatever the situation might be, uh, I, I think it's the communication is where a lot of it falls apart in my experience, how, mm. how effectively we are or are not communicating. Agreed. And I, I can't recall on our podcast when I was on with you, but one of the, the research items was is that what is the top three reasons that uh, leaders fail, but one of the top two is a lack of interpersonal skills or emotional intelligence. Yeah. So uh, that makes sort of, it makes sense. And so the next question is, is if that is so important, with your coaching with business owners and with leaders, Henry, what do you think is blocking or hindering, you know, besides what we talked about, you know, getting aligned, et cetera, uh, maybe it's a question you can answer or not. I'm setting you up here. Is, <laughs> Why are they not transitioning? In other words, they're stuck. So in your experience, what are the reasons and why might they be stuck and not growing? Or I, I think one of the key ones we see, Ken, is that they don't reach out for help. Um, whether that's, you know, again, obviously self-servingly, whether that's hiring a coach like yourself or myself, or, or it, it doesn't have to even be that. It could be a, a, a peer. It could be a network of peers. Uh, what I have found, and this has happened to me, especially since I home office, I chat about this on the show a lot, we get isolated as business owners, as entrepreneurs. Mm. And part of it is because our, 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 our normal circle of friends uh, a lot of times those are not entrepreneurs, although that has changed for me over time somewhat purposefully. 
but they don't understand what you're going through specifically. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we get isolated, and, and again, there's also a lot of us are type A personalities, and this apply, I think, uh, for executives as well. And so there's kind of this hesitancy to ask for help. I know I, I battled that. Because I, I felt like, and this goes back to, if we want to get really emotional, goes back to my childhood, I thought that asking for help meant I was weak or that I, I was stupid, right? So I, I, that hindered me for a long time until I realized that asking questions and being open and admitting I don't know is the key to it. You know, it's interesting, Aaron. Thank you for that. I think that's a whole segue into our next little segment here is the importance to being coached, mentored, mm. accessing other people who are successful. And, and let's just think, I mean, we're, I'm sure, a little bit of a sports fan here and there. I'm not mm. big on it. But imagine going to, uh, you know, the NFL or going to baseball or hockey or whatever it is, and they just got rid of the coaches. And just said, players, why don't you guys just show up, do the best you can, you know, learn from each other, just kind of hang out. You would never allow that in a professional or even amateur level. You need some leadership. You need some guidance. That's right. And then when a team's not doing well, who do they get rid of? They get rid of the coach for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the teacher is not necessarily mentoring. So my encouragement to all the listeners here is what, Henry, what you're saying is, is that if I want to go to the next level, why wouldn't I get a coach? Why wouldn't I get into a mastermind group? Why wouldn't I hire a mentor? Why wouldn't I hang out with a friend who has gone there? And a lot of times, yes, we can have the, one of the other, I'll call it, um, mindsets of, of leaders who fail is hubris mm-hmm. or arrogance. So one is that they might not know who to go to see, but now they don't have to worry about that, Henry, because they can call you or I. <laughs> That's right. uh, and, and, uh, if, and if we don't fit, then we know somebody who does. And the other one is, is they don't think they need help. And so that's a lot of times it happens where they said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that. Or, as you said, if I get help, I, it is disclosing or revealing that I'm weak. But we know, go 20 years ago, that was true, but that wouldn't be said today. No. And I think the other thing certainly I see for small business owners, myself included, that I've had to overcome, is we have to look at it as an investment, not as an expense. And I think that's a mental mindset issue as well. Of course, you know, you're a small business owner, maybe you can't afford a $100,000 a year investment, but look at it as an investment in your growth and in the growth of your business. And I think that helps to change the mindset. Mm -hmm. So now you've been doing this coaching, and thank you for that and you have your podcast, why don't you let people know about your gift that you have for people today? Absolutely. What I would love to offer to the listeners is a free consultation with me. Um, Usually we schedule 45 minutes to an hour because I advertise it sometimes as 30 minutes, but that's not enough to get into it. And what I like to do in these conversations is I want to make sure that we at least get one of your items discussed and addressed, right? So it's not just part of it is we're going to get to know each other because that's the other thing, Ken, that you have to figure out when you seek someone to help you, to mentor you, to coach you. There has to be a connection, just like when you pick any other professional, right? And so what I hope to accomplish in that free session is to make sure we we connect with each other, 
that I like you, you like me, and then that we help you make some progress on a, at least one item. So a free coaching consultation is what I would like to offer to your listeners. And they and we'll put in our show notes uh, how to how can we get that free one. I think we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and then you can look at whatever platform you're listening to, and that'll be in the show notes on how to get a hold of Henry for that free offer. We'll make sure that you know once you have like a hundred thousand people wanting that free coaching session, then, you know, you might be booked up for a bit. <laughs> Absolutely. We may have to put a limit on it. But you know what it also does, Ken, is that for the people that have never used a coach before, it kind of releases the pressure. There's no, there's no commitment here. Let's see if, if this is something I can get some value out of. And I think what you're going to find, most people are going to find, I know I have, is that once you get talking, it's like, it's like refusing to go to therapy, although that's not what necessarily business coaching is about, mm-hmm. but you, you feel better even afterwards because what I think one of the roles that a good coach plays is as a listener, and sometimes that's all we need as a business owner that's stuck or that needs guidance or someone who is aspiring to become a business owner. I just kind of need to air out my thinking, and, mm-hmm. and that's all it takes sometimes. Mm. Well, thank you for that. So, Henry, when we, um, we're getting close to the end of the show, what are three or four tidbits of wisdom around for professionals and or business owners that we haven't talked about at this point you'd like to leave with the listeners that they can take action on, it, you know, while, maybe not while they're driving and listening to this, but immediately after? What are some some tidbits, some strategies, points of wisdom, things that we haven't covered yet that you feel are important that you have discovered in your work? Yeah, as I'm looking at my my notes here, I'm I'm thinking of a a couple of topics. I don't know that necessarily they can take action immediately, but it's something to begin thinking about immediately. One of the other things that I was very weak at early in my career and even early in my business ownership career was I was terrible at delegating. So we have to get better at delegating regardless of where we are, whether it's corporate or in business, because we we have to leverage ourselves uh, to the best of our abilities. So learning how to delegate and getting better at it, and there's all kinds of resources out there to help you with that. Um, I can help you with that. Ken can help you with that. There's all kinds of books being written at it. But just the delegating part, one of the reasons it was so hard for me, Ken, is being a perfectionist being that type A personality, and and I learned this from my dad. So my dad was the type of guy that he only got to really being a solopreneur because no one could ever do it as well as he did. He was a perfectionist, and I inherited that from him. I learned that from him. So what I've come to know from people much more successful and smarter than I is that that's, that's the wrong way to look at it. So learning how to delegate is a huge one. The other one, which I think is two things that I think are the keys to determining whether you're ready to be your own boss or ready to you know, go into uh, positions of responsibility, is I think you have to be ready to embrace decision-making and accepting that you're going to make mistakes as part of that. Now, the corporate world isn't always as forgiving on the mistakes part, even though they tell you they will be. Hopefully, the listener is in an environment where that is the case. But why do I say that? I think that you either to grow in a leadership position or to be successful as a business owner, you have to embrace that you or, and or your partners are the decision makers. 
In other words, every big decision you have to make, right? When we work for someone else, yeah, depending on our position, we might have to make some important decisions. But we have this all, we have all these other people, right, that have also, they share part in making a decision as to which direction we're going to go with the product, are we going to make this, are we going to make that, are we going to spend here, are we going to cut back there. But when you're a business owner, especially a small business owner, it's usually on you and maybe on you and your partner. And then accepting mistakes. I am here today as a small business owner, uh, quote-unquote successfully, only because I've been fortunate to have a few more successes than failures. But anybody who thinks that you're not going to have failures along the way, you either haven't done it or haven't tried uh, or haven't experienced it yet. Really, Henry? We, you mean you have, entrepreneurs actually have failures? Yeah, <laughs> imagine that, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so those, those are the key things. Learn how to delegate. Learn how to get better at that. And that takes time. At least it took time for me. Accept that you are the person that can make these big, important decisions. Embrace that. Enjoy that. That was part of what I wanted also uh, to becoming a business owner. I wanted to be the guy who made the decisions. But along with that, I know that every decision I make is not going to be right. I'm hopeful that as I get better and better at it, most of my decisions will be quote unquote right, but I'm okay if they're not always right. Mm. Thank you, Henry. Well, Henry, we've already come, man, and where did that uh, time go for our show? <laughs> exactly what I was talking about, right? When we get talking about business, it's just, uh, you know, the time flies. Well, thehowofbusiness.com. Henry, thanks very much for hanging out with us today. Ken, this has been my great pleasure. Well, SOS listeners, Henry Lopez. Now, go to his site, find out about his free coaching session. But my encouragement is, if you are a business owner or not, the principles apply. I mean, take ownership of making decisions for yourself. Be passionate. Be on purpose. If it's in an employee or working for somebody else, why would you want to be miserable? And then get clear and hang out with individuals that really help you grow and to challenge you in a positive way rather than people that drag you down. Not that you're better than them, but you are just growing beyond your circumstances or situation. So thank you as always for listening. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, let other people know about SOS. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.